Hey everyone, and welcome to the Lessons of the Wild podcast, The Beginner's Guide to Hunting, episode number two. Thank you for listening. Uh, This episode, I think, is a pretty solid episode. Uh, I'm just going to go over some stuff that I think you should know before you go out buying stuff to get going hunting or even sit in the woods. So I think it's pretty valuable. I think it's something everyone should know beforehand. All right, with that being said, I hope you enjoy. Welcome to episode number two. Thank you for being here. Uh, just want to start off by saying Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, uh, Happy Thanksgiving. It's a late one, I know. I'm sorry for not putting out new content in a while. And sorry for the last upload. If you listened to it and got a tongue full of my throat, I'm so sorry. That <laughs> was so gross. I listened back to it after I uploaded it, and that was a mistake. So this is my kind of redo of that episode. Uh, if you didn't listen to it, you're lucky because you could hear every bodily noise that I make because I got a new microphone and did not understand the power of good audio. So I apologize. I'm just sitting here this morning. It's like 4 in the morning. Oh, 5 in the morning, not 4 in the morning. Can't read. Uh, just sipping on some coffee, hanging out with my dog, Lily. If you hear some jingles, it's her. She'll be probably a recurring guest on this podcast. Uh, if I keep doing this, waking up with dreams of, you know, being a good podcaster for a living. Uh, so, uh, today, it's going to be a pretty pretty chill episode. I'm going to, might take about an hour or so, try to go through it as smoothly as possible, but, uh, you know, I'm human. We'll see how it goes. Uh, I really just want to kind of cover a bunch of stuff that I think every beginner hunter should know before they go out spending a bunch of money on a bunch of equipment and before they go out in the woods and break a rule, get themselves in trouble when they just didn't know due to ignorance. So, oh, sorry about that. That's my normal alarm to get up, which I usually ignore and go back to sleep for another hour and a half. But, um, that's my 5 a.m. alarm. My wife hates it. Um, so, that being said, Let's get going on it, all right? Um, first thing I want to talk about is kind of a big one. It's just rules and regulations. Um, hunting, I don't know if you guys know this as beginner hunters, or if you're just a veteran hunter and listening for fun, you definitely know. Um, there are a bunch of regulations as far as hunting goes. The government is pretty strict on these, this resource that we're utilizing. So, let's talk about it. Um, every state has their own laws, period. Um, every state manages their wildlife within that state, and it is the public property of the people, the wildlife, that is, of that state. And it's their responsibility to manage it. So, biologists and state biologists usually come up with plans and... It usually gets beaten up and bruised through legislation and things kind of change. But for the most part, it has handled pretty well. I mean, as far as government goes, it's the best <laughs> form of regulation and well-managed I've ever seen in government. But that's 
a different podcast. Um, and every state is different with their laws. So what does that mean for the beginner hunter? That means if you're hunting in the state you live, you're a resident of that state, you have laws that pertain to you. If you go to a different state and are non-resident, you have different laws that do, like, your state laws do not carry over. It's the laws of that state you must follow. It's pretty straightforward. But within that, there is a bunch of stipulations. Um, every state has a resident, non-resident clause, uh, for the most part, and that involves usually just a money difference. You know, if you're a resident paying taxes there, you're not going to pay as much for a license or a tag. And you might need one, you might need both, depending on the state. It's all kind of up in the air. Um, where can you find this, you know, information? Because it is readily available to you as the consumer. Um, usually a website. If I'm going to hunt a different state, I tend to hunt like Indiana, Missouri. I Google just whatever state, fish and wildlife, fish and game. And it's usually a .gov, you know, website. And there's a hunting regulations book you know, that usually comes, and they can either break it down by species, they can break it down by hunting and trapping, they can, you know, fish, fishing too. There's usually laws. If you've ever been fishing, you should know that there's a license, and some people don't like that. But just know that every license, all the money goes back into conservation and making the resource we're utilizing stronger versus going to some bridge, maybe a bridge, I don't know, but like some random political bullshit. Uh, there's this is really good hunting funds about eighty five percent of conservation through the Dingle Johnson and I'm blanking because it's early in the morning. Oh my gosh, Robinson something. I'm sorry, I'll think of it later. But I'm having a real early morning. It's messing me up. But between these two acts, the state is getting a lot of money to manage these resources, so whatever you buy, it's not a waste of money. And if you don't tag out, you've basically made a donation to conservation, which is huge. What do I mean by tag out? I mean by reach your limit on an animal, which we'll talk about some more. Um, so every state has different requirements. <clears throat> some states even have further requirements or laws regulating where you can hunt, when you can hunt. I mean, every state has time-wise, but like, let's say... For Kentucky, for example, there's public land, but rifle season, you're only allowed to hunt a quota hunt. It must have a special tag to have a quota hunt on certain pieces of land. And it's just a matter of you being aware of what's going on, probably making some phone calls because it's not always clear to your fishing game, you know, like a, a game warden, which is like an, a law, an officer of the law, um, or someone who just knows and is a reliable resource. I wouldn't rely on your buddy because it's real easy to make a mistake, and mistakes, you know, game wardens are pretty forgiving, but if you're knowingly breaking the law, you're, you're not going to be okay. So just, you know, be ready, be read up, go to that website, learn everything. Um, every species is different. Every species has limits on what you can take, what you can keep in your freezer, as far as, oh, you might have a daily bag limit, which is, let's say... For Dove, I have a daily bag limit of like 15 here in Kentucky. And then I don't know what the, the freeze zone is because I never reach it. Shocker, because I'm terrible at shooting Dove. 
but you know there's everything for deer in Kentucky I can take four four deer one buck three antlerless and if I want to buy additional bonus tags I can do that um, I don't need to do that one deer usually suffices for me maybe two might be much but I'm eating a lot more wild game lately so I'm gonna try to get out there more and convince my wife to get a deep freezer <clears throat> see if that happens um, but that's important to know that different different licensure requirements as well um, some states you need to have a license some states you need to have just a deer tag or a tag some states you need both some states you need a small game license and then you can get your big game license it all depends and it is all related to getting a certain species so look it up figure it out because it's important and it's not a waste of money or time because you're really doing a good thing um, another thing I want to talk about some most states require some form of hunter's education um, and proof of that and it's something you should carry on you at all times uh, luckily there are a lot of states that use this online resource I don't have the exact um, website on me I should have probably looked it up beforehand sorry but you just type in hunter's education it's usually one of the first things that pop up on the Google um, I took mine online I actually did both just to kind of experience both when I was you know just starting out because I had no idea what I was doing I just want to absorb as much as I could but I found that the online resource was much more much much more you know um, educational the in-person one <clears throat> turned out to be more like a lot of father sons who like is very cultural very niche I don't know if that's a word to use but like I don't know there was a lot of assumptions made of the person learning to hunt like they've been engulfed in it their whole life and it was very like assumed which it's mostly gun safety for the most part in, in person at least it was for me I don't know how it is it depends on the guy teaching it but it, it just I mean I met a bunch of cool people so I thought it was really cool but in retrospect I didn't need to take it <clears throat> I already had my hunter's ed but I took it with my little brothers and my stepdad it was fun I met some guys in Indiana who because uh, I'm from Indiana originally who brew beer, uh, uh, three, three Floyd's beer, actually, if uh, you ever drink that, it's really good beer. Um, so, yeah, I, if, if, if it were me, I would just do the online course. You get a really nice, like, license, hype up, um, in the mail, and it's not just like a laminated piece of paper, which makes it much more, you know, safe in your wallet because you need to have proof of hunter's education um, at all times. Now, some states do a thing where you can be a, like a mentee hunter and for like your first year, if you just want to try it out, see if you like it, which if you do it, I'm almost positive you'll fall in love with it as much as I have. So it's a dangerous course. <laughs> you want to lose a bunch of money and time, but have a great time doing it. Hunting is for you, but they have a like a license you can get if you're with a hunter who's already educated has their card um, you could do like your first year just like a trial run you could buy these licenses and just have like you pay like fifteen dollars extra in Kentucky at least and you can hunt with but you have to be with someone and it's it's a really good way to get new hunters out there and I think it's very valuable especially if you're an adult onset hunter like me there's a lot of emotion involved and a lot of fear uh, so 
And I think it's a good thing. I think it's a good way to invest. Uh, but it's very important that you do hunter's ed first. Okay, because... But, well, not really. You don't need to do it first if you have these mentee things. But it's important you have it if you're going to continue because, you know, you need it. One, two, it's valuable. It's very valuable. And it goes over a lot of safety stuff that you just don't think of as a beginner hunter. Especially if you haven't been around firearms your whole life like I have or, you know sharp things that can kill you so something to think about something to do that you got to do um, some states don't accept this online course so make sure your your state you're going to hunt in does and if you have to take it in person you have to take it in person some states require that you do it in person i don't i think out west you might have to for like montana don't quote me on that i'm not 100 percent sure um okay so i already kind of touched on um how some states have different requirements for different spots in the state to hunt. Really, you're right, dog. Just kind of going crazy. Um, so, like out west, I know there's a lot of unit hunts, and they draw tags based on the unit you're trying to hunt. Some are over the counter, which a unit's like a set acreage in the state that has public land that you can hunt and that in itself has its own requirements as far as firearm restriction animal you know you could take population stuff that they worry about so make sure if you plan on hunting out there or have a state you know well always scout that's important always kind of find out where you want to be you know way before season starts because you don't want to be trotting around while people are hunting like a dope and you know hurt someone else's hunt that's kind of a no-no, so cultural thing that you should know. And make sure you're out there in the woods, kind of seeing where things are, understand, you know, how animals are behaving, or learn how animals are behaving. And I'm going to kind of go over some resources here at the end, uh, where you can learn some of these things so you're not going out there blind. Um, so just you know, be, be prepared and understand where you want to be before you're out buying stuff, because you could be like, hey, this is an over-the-counter hunt, but it's incredibly difficult. <laughs> Like, you're out there, you don't see any sign, like, there's a reason it's an over-the-counter hunt. Or you can put in for a lottery and, you know, potentially have more success. So, what are lotteries? Lotteries are kind of just like a normal thing. You, you put in for a tag, like, you drop your name in a hat, essentially, for, like, 10 bucks, depending on the state. In Kentucky, elk is a $10 put-in fee for cow or bull. And then sometimes during the year they draw names. And if your name gets drawn, then you pay the full price. So be prepared for that. You're not just paying $10. Uh, I know Elk in Kentucky is like $500. So it's a huge investment. That's huge for me right now. I hope one day it's not. But that's insane. And you, when you draw a tag, you have the potential to not be successful. So that's something you really need to think about and balance with your family life. Because... This sport is unfortunately incredibly expensive, and then I'm going to try to mitigate that because I have spent way too much money in my life on this already, and I'm not even that far into my career. So uh, luckily I have a lot of family that help me out, gifts and stuff, but be prepared for that. And uh, I am definitely of the mindset of buy once, cry once, as far as equipment goes. We'll get into that, but um, you know, it's an investment. You don't need it to start, but once you get going. Um, 
Okay, so lotteries, and then your name's drawn, and then you can hunt if you get drawn. If you don't get drawn, some states have like a, you build a point system where you get more names in the hat next time you apply. Some states don't. That's kind of a hot topic in some places. You know, I, I don't know. I've never done it. I kind of, I get it, but I think you should have more of a chance. You know, but I also think it kind of limits the new hunter. So, I don't know. has its advantages. has its disadvantages. Raises money regardless for conservation, so you can't really be mad at it. Um, I already kind of touched about public land, private land. Um, some states have different laws for hunting private land and public land. Some states have requirements for both that are the same. You know, where does public land? It's not your park. You can't go to your park and kill something. You know, um... There are national forests you can hunt. Make sure you're allowed to hunt if you're going public where you want to hunt. And if it's not listed in your, you know, your book, a phone call doesn't hurt. An email doesn't hurt. You know, be prepared. Do it way ahead of time so you know you can hunt there and scout there and do whatever. But you don't want to be in a neighborhood where you can't hunt or a park that's real close to neighborhoods, <laughs> kill a deer, and then, you know, scar a little Jimmy for life. Even though I think it's a valuable thing to scar him with, you know, it's not not kosher. So make sure you, you know, you uh, figure it out before you go out there. Um, private land, you know, from a, you can hunt private land, period. Um, that doesn't mean in subdivisions. That means acreage, for the most part, unincorporated areas. Uh, so think about that. Figure out where you're hunting. I hunt mostly private land, not because I don't want to hunt public land, but because... I just haven't had a good opportunity, and I'm I'm nervous. I'm really nervous about it. Uh, I'm gonna this year, this next season, I'm gonna really make my goal to hunt public land and try to get a, a critter off there. I'm gonna I do some public land like squirrel hunts and stuff, but the big game is what I'm really worried about. There's a lot of equipment involved here for whitetail that just sit, and that's kind of the culture of hunting here. And ambush hunting is kind of the the way you go about whitetail in the Midwest. But that's an expensive venture, and leaving stuff out there in public land is not something I like to think about, because <laughs> a lot of stuff gets stolen. So, that's another thing to think about if you're going to hunt public land and have to leave stuff out there. Be prepared for things to potentially be stolen, or prevent that from happening with insane locks. Because people are assholes, unfortunately. I'm sorry to say it, but people suck. A lot. There's a lot of good people, and there's a lot of good in the world, but people suck. Still. Um... Okay, so seasons. Every species has a season that you can take it. Some seasons are longer for certain species. Like squirrel is probably the longest like season. It's like, I don't know, August to probably June. Don't quote me on that. But for Kentucky, it's, it's super long. It's like eight months. Some, and they're game animals. Some animals don't even have a season listed because they're not considered game animals. If you want to hunt them, make a phone call, make an email, um, see what you're allowed to do. If you want to trap, you know, there's laws for that too. So if that's something you're interested in, it's very difficult. I've never done it. Want to start doing it, but it's, you know, it's tough. But, you know, you're allowed to do X, Y, Z in certain seasons. It's, I mean, that's trapping, that's hunting with a bow, that's hunting with a rifle, that's hunting with a crossbow, that's hunting with a muzzle loader, that's hunting with a addle I don't know. If you want to get weird, want to get freaky on this hunting thing. Um, you know, and there's there's pros and cons. Bow hunting usually goes much longer because it is 
much more difficult. Uh, rifle hunting is usually a week or two for whitetail at least. I don't know about elk and stuff, but you know, it's easier to take an animal. Not saying it's easy because none of it's easy, but it is less difficult to shoot something with a rifle than a bow. And there's debate, you know, like a bow, you have a higher risk of injuring an animal. Rifle, it's kind of, if you hit it in the right spot, it's, it's done because the energy, but uh, I like to do both. I don't discriminate. If I can get food on my table, I'm doing it. So I don't like crossbow, not because I don't like crossbows, it's because I don't have one. And I don't really, it, it, if I can bow hunt, I'm going to bow hunt. I'd rather, but that's just me. I don't judge anyone. If you want to take an animal with a crossbow, do it. Um, if you're listening to this and you're handicapped, you have you know different laws too. I want you to understand that you have, uh, you should have the, you have every right to be hunting, and fishing game is great about allowing you to do that any means possible. So, if you're a disabled hunter, and you need help, have questions, just call a game warden, call fishing game. They will answer all your questions. Um, hunting from a vehicle is usually not a thing. And for normal hunters, but I know disabled hunters are allowed to from an ATV, from whatever you got to do. Um, and it's great. It's absolutely great. And I'm sure there's groups out there that hunt. If you are handicapped and you want to hunt with me, you give me a call. I would love to, to figure this out for you. And if you want to go in Kentucky, we'll do something. Or I'm moving to Missouri in May. So Missouri, let's do it. If you want to be that, shoot me a, a direct message, Instagram, email in the description below. Let's do it. Let's have some fun. Make a good video or something out of it. Get to know you. I like new friends. So and if you're a hunter, you're my friend. So uh, let's do that. Okay. That's kind of all for state laws. So there are federal laws. Um, a lot of migratory animals fall under federal law. I don't know about caribou because I've never hunted caribou or have the opportunity to hunt caribou up in Alaska. But I know the migratory birds like goose duck, dove, any other waterfowl species I'm not thinking of, they all fall, fall under federal regulation. So what does that mean? That means the federal government has set a big base of rules and every state further limits those rules. So you need to know both. And a federal duck stamp is required to hunt these on your license as well as your hip survey number and that is just a, a quick survey that really helps gives the government a lot of information as far as who's taking what uh, animal wise and how the species are handling it and you know etc so just make sure you're following those rules the hip survey every time I've hunted migratory birds like I hunt dove mostly I've never been waterfowling but every time I've dove hunted a game warden has been there and check that I have my hip survey. You don't need a, a duck stamp for dove, but you need a hip survey. So just make sure you know your rules, and the state the state will usually post stuff, and if you don't know, ask questions. That's all you gotta do. It's gotta, it takes 10 minutes to make a phone call, like, hey, I'm new to this, I have a question X, Y, Z, and anyone will be happy to help you there. They are always pleasant. I've never had a bad experience with fishing game. I'm sure some people have, but now, they're usually really down-to-earth, humble people that are just there to help you because they love it as much as we do. Okay, cool stuff. Equipment. Let's talk equipment. First thing you need to know is you do not need 
everything in the world excuse me, to get started. You don't need to spend thousands of dollars to go on your first hunt. Now, you probably are going to end up spending thousands of dollars afterwards when you fall in love with it just because, you know, you get bit by the bug and you want all the cool shit. I get it because I'm that guy. I like equipment. I'm a gear dork, but, you know, my wife hates it. I like it. <laughs> um, I'm going to go over some, like, necessities that I think you should have regardless for hunting and whatever. If you just like being outdoors, I think a lot of these are good uh, to have. First and foremost, good pair of boots. Oh my gosh, I can't stress this enough. A good pair of boots. Worn in, not just brands making new and you're going to go hike 10 miles in. You know, you need a good worn in pair of boots. Um, it depends on the season you're going to hunt. I use hiking boots for warm weather. My good hiking boots I've taken to Alaska, Peru, all these places I've been. Trekked a lot of miles on it. They're so comfortable. I'm so familiar with them, and it's so nice. I don't get any blisters, but they're warm weather. Unfortunately, I do not have a good pair of insulated boots, which you definitely need, especially if your your season falls in really cold time. Um, up north, man, uh, whitetail hunting, you're just sitting in the stand. Your feet, feet are on metal. And it just saps heat from you, and it hurts so bad. <laughs> um it's rough, so that's on my Christmas list. I don't think I'll get it. The boots I want are sold out, so um, those definitely needs. Um, figure out what boot you need. There's a lot of good resources out there if you don't know. Uh, I know I like Loa's are my hiking boots that I use, and they're just straight up hiking boots, brown leather. They look nice, you know. They're good for whatever, but and they're comfy, great hiking boots. You know, not super high on the ankle, but if you're going to be doing like mountain hiking or backcountry, you know, if you're going up some tough terrain, you need to know the right boot for you. So that's something to do some research on. If you have any questions, shoot me a message. I'm always here for you guys. Um, okay, warm clothes. That's important. Wool. Wool. Get wool. Cotton kills, period. All right. If you get cotton wet, it does not keep you warm. Wool, if it gets wet, it keeps you warm. It's way it insulates. That is so important because if you're out in the cold and something happens and you get wet or sweat, hypothermia will kill you. So it's super, super important. Um, and it's way more comfortable to be warm than cold. Okay, um, Good pairs of wool socks. Uh, one, if you're going to be wearing wool socks, do not layer socks and make your boots super tight. You need blood flow to your foot. So wear just a pair of good wool socks. Keep your boots loose, not too tight, not too loose, but you know, enough where you can move your toes and move your feet within the boot. Blood flow keeps you warmer than layers on your feet. However, good base layers in wool and good wool or fleece or whatever you need to keep warm above that, but 100% need to have wool base layers. It is a game changer. Um, but you don't need to make a huge investment in hunting clothes. You don't need to go to Cabela's, Bass Pro, wherever you're going to go, Sportsman's Warehouse, uh, and spend you know $1,000 on a freaking jacket. You know you don't need to. I want to because I like Sitka right now, and I'm a dork, but uh, you don't. Uh, you know how many animals have been taken in blue jeans and a flannel? Like, so many creatures, man. You look at pictures of Fred Bear, who, like, is the father of compound bow hunting and bow hunting in the U.S., like, 
not the founder, obviously, but like the modern day bow hunting. He's huge. He's in freaking blue jeans and a flannel, you know, and a, a weird hat. <laughs> I forget the name of those hats, but the ones that go over your ears. Um, not a beanie. The other one, it's like the Russian hat, I think. You know, so you don't need fancy stuff. Uh, you know, there are some colored things you should know before you go out hunting turkey, you know, and stuff. Like, don't wear red, white, and blue. It's a bad idea. Get shot that way. Um, oh, man. Well, I'll talk about that in a minute. Sorry. Distracted by my own notes. Um, you know, dark colors. Browns. I mean, again, blue jeans and flannel. You know, makes things made things happen. Depending on your style on it, you know, just talk to people. Talk to whoever you need to talk to. If you want to call fishing game, they literally will handle anything. They're great people and they want to see more hunters out there because it helps fund the things they love. So, or you can ask me. I legitimately have hunted in blue jeans and a flannel before and had an eight-point whitetail buck come up to my tree stand. So I don't think it makes a difference. When you're up in a tree stand, it might make a difference. Um you know, on ground, or it could just been a stupid animal, who knows, but if you want to go out there and experience something, just wear browns, lots of browns, some green, maybe, you know, if you want to get some face paint and get it all tactical, do what you got to do, but you don't need to drop a bunch of money for your first year of hunting, you know, just get out there, enjoy it, enjoy the outdoors, it's fun, you don't, you don't need to make a huge investment, and it's way easier to convince a spouse that way, that you can do this. Um, Hunter Orange. Now, I think I touched on this a little bit, but a lot of state laws require you to have Blaze Orange, which is just that bright, stereotypical orange color that hunters wear. Um, and there is state requirements for that on public land, private land, certain kind of hunts, you know. You need to have this color on to keep you safe, and that's what it's all about is that color doesn't occur in nature, so no one's going to shoot you. <laughs> if you are wearing that, hopefully, you know, people are dumb and I don't want to say dumb because accidents happen, but, uh, you know, you get all excited and your eyes play tricks on you, especially in that early hours in the morning and right before, you know, night, you think you see something and bam, hunting's exciting and things, emotions go crazy and that's what happens. Um... So wear your hunter orange, figure out what your hunter orange requirements are, and be safe. Safety's number one. Um, okay, let's talk boomsticks. As far as guns go, rifle, I think you can take care of anything with a, a 30 caliber. Now, moose, an elk, you might be pushing it with a 308, but great rounds, 30-06, 300 win mag. I have a 308. I like my 308. I'm going to do some research on some, you know, rounds to hunt bigger game, but my 308's a great gun, man. I got it for a steal, too, so I'm not complaining. Um, you don't need a big scope, especially if you're a new hunter. It'll keep you, it'll keep you from taking shots you don't want to be taking. Um, you can use iron sights. That's fine. If you need to buy a scope, Simmons, or Sims? Simmons? Cheap, cheap rifle scope, great scope. Just the crosshair is nothing fancy. I have a Vortex now because my rifle came with it, but I started off with a Simmons. I still have it. It's still on the you know the first gun, my shotgun, because in Indiana you're only allowed to use a slug gun where you were. Now you can use a rifle, but 
it's a great scope. You don't need to spend a crap load of money on, you know, a scope or a rifle for that matter, you know. Now, that being said, I'm a firm believer in buy once, cry once. You know, getting, getting what you want now so you don't have to pay twice for something that you want. But, you know, my first my first year has been taken with a Marlin 33. It's my father-in-law's. You know, if you can borrow a weapon, borrow a weapon. It's the way to do it. Save money um, any way you can because this is expensive. And I think a 30 caliber rifle is capable of taking most game, big game that you want to take, uh, hogs, deer, elk. I think elk is pretty solid with a 308, but we'll see. I don't actually know. Look it up. Ask someone. Uh, ask your fishing game more than, you know, your neighbor. Um, and then I think you just have a shotgun, a 12-gauge shotgun will take care of any small game or flying creatures. I have a Remington 870. It's a cheap shotgun, it's a pump action, which makes hunting, you know, waterfowl a little more different or flying things, but it's a great gun. And you can drop $1,200 on a Benelli or whatever you want to do, but my Remington 870 is going to be around forever. It's simple mechanism, works great every time. Had one problem with it, and that was just because I didn't clean it a long time, and then I cleaned it, and it's fine. Um, so I think you just use a rifle and a shotgun, and you can take 90% of the critters you want to hunt with easily and humanely. Um, shotgun's good for squirrel, rabbit, pheasant, dove, duck, goose, you know, rifle, big game, four-legged creatures, you know. Um, if you want to hunt bow, be aware that traditional bow hunting, you know, like a longbow bow is much harder, much, 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 much harder and takes a very skilled hunter, so it might not be what you want to use to get into bow hunting. A compound bow is great. Again, you don't need to spend a bunch of money on a compound bow, but there are a lot of things you need to know before buying a compound bow. A bunch of stuff. Don't be going out there and buying a used one on eBay that you know you don't know anything about, which I have done, and I'm currently using that bow I got off of eBay, but it was a risk, and it could have been bad if I didn't buy a certain quality of bow that I knew was high quality, a Hoyt or Matthews or PSE or whatever, you know. You can go to your local archery shop, which can be hit or miss. So, you know, you just kind of, that's kind of hard. Archery is hard because there's a lot of people out there who claim they know what they're talking about and don't know what they're talking about. Um, I'll talk about, you know, a solid resource that I've used who you can trust 110%, like, but Bows are something you need to take much more time thinking about buying rifles. Kind of the same thing, but there's a lot of good rifles out there. And a lot of, you know, it's pretty hard to mess up a rifle nowadays. They, they do it pretty well. Um, same with a shotgun. You know, there's some bad brands out there, but that's easy thing you can YouTube and figure out. I like Remington for a cheap or Mossberg shotgun rifle. Savage. Remington, they've had been having trouble in the recent years. I don't know if that's getting fixed, so maybe be cautious. Um, I said Savage, you know, Henry rifle if you want a lever action, Marlin lever, great guns, you know. But um, bow wise, compound bows, there's a lot to it. So be buyer beware, be prepared. 
uh, knock on archery as a resource, uh, the resource pardon, that I I follow religiously because bow stuff is expensive real fast, and this guy John Dudley, he was a former professional archer for the U.S. Olympic team. He is the man, and he's a phenomenal coach, and he puts all this content online for the same reasons that I just said of you can't trust ever anything anymore. You know, with his resource out there, people are getting a lot better because he's so such a good and knowledgeable archer. Um, so follow his stuff on YouTube, listen to his podcast, Knock On Podcast, N-O-C-K-O-M, if you want to learn bow hunting and just archery in general, make you a better equipped. Um, I think rifle and shotgun are the first thing you should do to start because it's a lot harder to mess up a shot. I mean, definitely can, and I have, don't get me wrong, with a rifle and wounded creatures, but, you know, that animal didn't move afterwards where I hit it, and I was able to get up there and take care of things. Um, on that note, let's kind of move on to some expectations. Um, that was a little dark, I'm sorry, but um, that's something you need to expect as a hunter. You're going to have to take something's life, and it is nothing you should not take seriously. You shouldn't, you shouldn't try to be masculine about it. You shouldn't try to be macho. It is a task, and it is difficult, and there is such a mix of emotions when it comes down to it. Um, it's kind of, it's almost regret, but it's not regret. I don't know how to describe it, but a lot of people are better describing it than me, so listen to all these podcasts and resources I'm going to talk about here after this, but, you know, it's it's something, and it's it makes you incredibly grateful for the things you have in life, this taking an animal's life for your consumption and joy. Um, it is, it's very hard and it's very stressful and it can cause you to make mistakes. Um, so you need to be prepared and there's no true way of preparing it, but there is, um, you know, putting yourself in stressful situations while you practice is a good way to kind of let yourself figure out how to calm down and make clean kills. Cause that's, your job as a hunter, if you're going to take something, is make it as quick and clean as possible. You don't want to wound a creature. You don't want to make it suffer. You want it to be over in an instant. You don't want it to know what happened. And I think it's it's a difficult task, and it's a huge responsibility, and you should be aware of it. And you should be aware that your responsibility as a hunter is to be an ethical hunter and to make every strive to make things fair. I mean, it's never fair. We are much higher species and have the capacity that every other species on this planet doesn't have. Um, but you should try to make it quick, clean, ethical, and fun. Like, it's fun as much as disturbed, as disturbing as that is for some people. Hunting is a blast, and it's not about the kill, but it, that's a huge part of it. That's all I'm going to say. And it's an emotional thing. Hunting is an emotional thing. It's exciting. It's exhilarating. You feel sadness and happiness at the same time, and you know, sense of loss and gratefulness and remorse for a life. And it's it's a wonderful experience that I think if every person on Earth experienced that, the world would be a better place. 
you know. Now there's some people who get their jollies off killing. This isn't for you. I don't I don't like that. That's messed up, you know. We don't waste animals around here and you know we're all you know, everyone hunts for a big animal, but that's not the reason we're hunting for a big animal. You know, just to kill it. Uh, so just make sure you're prepared for that emotion and when the time comes you're calm and ready to take action so you don't mess up. And if you do mess up, it's going to happen eventually. Mistakes happen. You're human. I'm human. I made mistakes. I wounded, officially wounded an animal this year um, with my bow because it is much harder to kill an animal with a bow. Um, shot a doe, white-tailed doe. She ran off. I tracked her for until the wee hours of the, you know, the night, almost till midnight. Just couldn't find her after a while. I think she survived. I saw her on my camera. The shot looked good. The wound looked good, but, you know, you make mistakes. I think I pushed her too early, and it's hard. And it took me out of hunting for about a month. I felt so terrible. So, you know, mistakes happen, but this is so much more than a hobby. So I just got to get back on the horse. And I, I took a buck after that little guy, but he's filled the freezer room to eat the hell out of him. Um, anxiety I talked about. Oh, this thing called, people call it buck fever. You get a huge adrenaline rush when you see your first critters or so, or see a huge animal. You make mistakes. It's, it's, it's a ginormous adrenaline rush. Um, I The first time I had buck fever, I shook. Like, shook. Like, uh, above uncontrolled shivering shook. Like, I didn't know what was going on. I felt like I was shivering, but it wasn't the shivers. And I was with my father-in-law, who was there. Like, teaching me. Not really. Yeah, teaching me. Taught me a lot, actually, about hunting. And, uh, man. Shook me. Like, I was shaking violently. And he was giggling at me because he knows the feeling. But I thought I was just shivering. And he's telling everyone. And I didn't know what was going on. And I didn't believe him. And then later it happened again. I was like, okay. It's the fever. What are you growling at? Relax. Um, so, you know, be ready for the anxiety and the adrenaline. Um, I kind of talked about this. As a hunter, you have an ethical obligation to be a good hunter and a responsible hunter. Um, what does that mean? That means picking up your trash, damn it. Just pick up your trash. Why do we litter? Don't litter. Don't be an asshole. <laughs> um, making clean kills. Not trespassing on private land. I know there's a lot of frustration in not being in hunt, but... You know, going up months in advance and getting permission and verifying your permission weeks in advance and just being an ethical guy or girl. You know, um, that extends to waste nothing. Um, one, there are laws against wasting meat on an animal you take in the wild, but you have an obligation as a hunter to, one, eat the animal you take because we're not, you know, bass awkward savages that just kill for killing, you know. You know, we're killing for fun, but we're also killing for food. So make sure you learn to process, uh, learn to field dress. You don't need to process the whole animal and break it down to cuts. You can always pay someone to do that. But I, I love it. I was a butcher in college, so I have a little more skill than your average Joe, but <clears throat> you're not going to waste, and that's important. Um, you might lose some meat if you made a, make a bad shot to the guts, that's fine. You just don't make a bad shot in the guts and you'll be good. It's called a bad shot for a reason. Um, with that being said, you are 
responsible for processing or field dressing rather. Uh, what does that mean? That means gutting the animal. Now, I remember when I was first hunting, that was a daunting, daunting task. It was super intimidating. I was super scared the whole time. Up until I got a job as a butcher and I did it a million times and I, now I feel super comfortable. No hesitation, but as not, not everyone's going to have that luxury that I had in college. Um, so there's a million resources, million and a half resources on how to do this. My favorites are Steve Ranella's Meat Eater resource on this. Um, he's put out a lot of great, great videos um, on how to do it. And, you know, he's very articulate and kind of explaining things. He has this bandana that he just has for sale at the Meat Eater website. I think it's themeateater.com. And it's like step-by-step -step pictures and blaze orange on how to gut a deer, which I think, because you can watch as many videos in the world, but when you get to do it, you're going to forget something. So I think that'd be a solid investment. I don't know how expensive it is, but you know, instead of having to get your phone bloody because you're going to be covered in blood when you're gutting a deer, that's just how it is. You shoot it in the chest where the heart is. If you hit the heart or the aorta or whatever, bunch of blood. So be ready for that. If you're queasy, you know, maybe be with someone in case, you know, you're going to be handling a knife. You don't want to pass out on it. Um, you know, he has, that's a great resource and you can just lay it out and, you know, you have pictures there to, in case you forget. Um, don't, the biggest fear is punching, you know, puncturing the guts. So that's where the poop is. That's where the food is. You don't want to do that. If it gets on the meat, if you rinse it off quickly, you're usually good. But cooking kills anything for the most part. But the enzymes in the guts can break down meat and ruin it. So be careful. That's the hardest part. Other than that, it's super, super straightforward. Whatever's in there needs to come out. Boom. Done. And that's kind of the intestines and stuff is what spoils the fastest. So once you shoot an animal, if you're shooting with a rifle and you see it go down, it's dead. Don't sit there and wait around. Go get it, especially if the temperatures are warm. Gut it, get it cool. Meat needs to be cool. You don't want it to spoil, right? Um, if handled properly, meat can be outside and changing temperatures for a long time, but that's kind of advanced, so be prepared if you're going on your first time. Like, if I'm successful, how are we going to handle this? Now, some people think that'll jinx you. I don't care. Let it jinx you. You need to be ready for it. You need to be like, that's your priority is getting this animal out and utilizing it now whether that's going to a butcher who does it which is a google a way to figure out make sure you call them in advance but like hey xyz how much does it cost you know um if you want to do it yourself you know read up be prepared to make mistakes and quite honestly if you're learning i think it's you know if you make mistakes you make mistakes and if you waste meat Buy your mistakes, that's fine. That's learning. You know, it kind of stinks a little bit, but the more you learn, the better, and the better you'll get at it. So practice. But just be ready. Be ready for that kill because you don't want to waste anything. It's kind of your obligation. Be ready to feel dressed. Be ready for blood. Guts, you're going to have to touch it. You can wear latex gloves, but you're still getting arms deep in there. Um, if you have something you want to mount, you know, by chance you get something that's worth mounting, which I think if your first year is always worth mounting, in my opinion, or first big creature, just because it's such a momentous occasion. I have mine. I made it myself. Just a little skull cap, <clears throat> a little buck I got. Totally 
totally totally a great thing. So um, if you're going to use a taxidermist, give them a call beforehand. Jinx yourself if you have to. It's fine. Figure out how they like things, what your options are, know your cost. Uh, mounting things are great. You know, people think it's trophy hunting. I mean, trophy hunting is a misnomer, one. But having that memento from your first kill will always serve as a good reminder of such a great memory. So I think it's always worth mounting. I love having mounts tastefully done. My wife won't have it any other way. So <clears throat> um, that's something to be prepared for as well. Um, cooking. You need to expect cooking is so different than what you're used to. If you've been cooking beef, chicken, pork, venison or wild game is so much leaner so much leaner than all these things you cannot overcook it or it ruins everything and foul flavors and toughness come out quick so get cookbooks watch youtube videos do what you gotta do to figure out how to cook things it took me a long time to properly figure out how to cook wild game and i love to cook i've always loved to cook but it's a different, it's a different ball game with wild game. Cooking beef, I, now that I'm good at cooking wild game, I don't know how people mess up beef and chicken, and I used to me mess up beef and chicken all the time, so. If you're one of those people, follow recipes. Follow recipes to a T, so you don't mess it up. Um, easy, easy, simple. Um, Hank Shaw, Steve Ranella, my two favorite wild game cooks. Hank Shaw in particular, his recipes are a little awesome, but like some strange ingredients sometimes that I can't find, so be prepared for that, but all, everything I've had of his is blowing my mind, so. Alright, that kind of covers my expectations. If you have any questions about any things I've talked about, please, please message me, okay? Um, please send an email, lessons of the wild at gmail. Instagram, I think it's lessons underscore of underscore the underscore wild. Um, just type me in, lessons of the wild, you should find me. Um, do a lot of food stuff too, so if you want some recipes, feel free. I usually talk things up a bit, but the good ones are the best looking ones. Alright, kind of got through all the serious stuff. Let's talk about some things that have helped me learn through my time and resources I think you should trust and I have always just I've always trusted and they haven't steered me wrong now I have gone through the BS the depth of BS on YouTube and hickabillies who have done it this way since they were kids all that jazz not to mock accents because I live in Kentucky and there are plenty of really intelligent people with accents but um I just you know the hickabilly stereotypes wanted to miss pick on um so, uh, my number one go-to guy when I have any form of question is the Meat Eater crew. Steve Rinella in particular. His content is insanely good. He has a Netflix original show called The Meat Eater. It's his last three seasons, his current, but he has like 12 seasons. I think you could buy on his website. And Sportsman's Channel might still play him. I don't have cable, so I just used to buy them or steal them. <coughs> Sorry, Steve. Um, he's good for cooking, really good for cooking. He's got a lot of great recipes. He's got a new cookbook out. Uh, 
The Meat Eater. Fish and Game Cookbook. Yeah, that's it. I just bought it. It's on my shelf in front of me. I was trying to read it. Um, really, really solid, solid cooking stuff. Really incredible show. Incredible hunting show. So much better than, you know, the tree stand shows, which I just, I can't watch it. I just, they bore the hell out of me, but there are apparently, a lot of people like them, so I'm not trying to knock you, but I just, not my thing. Um, he has a great podcast as well, the Meat Eater podcast. Great guests. Kind of over the head of the beginner hunter. Uh, so, but it's a good way to get in there hear the culture, kind of figure out the culture of hunting. And it's a good ethical, he's a good ethical dude. So if you kind of want to figure out, kind of put to words your fears and emotions and kind of understand that, he's a good guy for that. Another really good guy for that is Ben O'Brien and the Hunting Collective podcast. He mostly does ethics stuff, has good guests on, uh, talks a lot about ethics and the you know conundrums of being a hunter and you know, the problems facing the hunting community. Um, it gets a little serious for me at times, but it's still really good, and he's a really good dude. Uh, drops the F-bomb once in a while, so if you've got kids, be ready for that. Um, Hank Shaw, let's go back to cooking. Hank Shaw, the chef at Guadalajara Garcia, two good, great dudes for cooking. Uh, Hank Shaw is just... I think he just, I don't know if he's having any like formal culinary training, but his book, Buck Buck Moose, is my favorite cookbook because it just has insanely good recipes. Like, changed my perspective on cooking recipes, period. Um, oh, man, it's so good. If you're hunting anything with hooves, man, man, oh, man. Good stuff. Buck Buck Moose, great book. He has Duck Duck Goose. He does some foraging stuff. Stuff. I think he has pheasant quail cottontail too is another book i have i don't have those because i never hunted any of those last six species really want to so if you know a guy let me know um insanely good chef Eduardo garcia he does i think he owns you know i know he owns montana max uh spices and stuff his instagram's awesome super inspirational dude too uh if you watch his his documentary charged you'll know why highly recommend that documentary uh, good great great watch highly recommend um i already talked about john dudley and knock on all things archery period this is the guy you want to listen to he's on youtube podcast he's he does everything instagram's great he does a lot of good instagram live stuff uh, watch him he's doing the school of knock right now uh great great for the beginner hunter um i need to do it i'm kind of lagging behind i don't have a place to shoot readily accessible like most people do not most people but you know it's kind of a, a 30 minute round trip for me and i just don't have the time right now but um super great guy super knowledgeable i trust everything he says every single thing he says i take to heart now i was skeptical at first and the more you listen to him, the more you know he knows exactly what he's talking about. And when he explains something, he doesn't just say this is it. He explains in detail why this is it. And he's super valuable. Super, super valuable. Um, if you're a big whitetail hunter or want to become a big whitetail hunter, Mark Kenyon, uh, Wired to Hunt, such an invaluable resource. 
such a nice sounding dude. I wish I knew the guy. He seems like a cool guy to hang out with. Um, he does. He's a strictly whitetail guy. That's what he loves. He's a hundred percent the culture of white Midwest whitetail hunters. You know, he's just a great show. Highly recommend listening. And he's super educational. I've learned so much in just like the month or two I've been listening to him. Great, great. Love him. Keep doing what you're doing, Mark. If you listen to this, um, you want some inspiration? Cameron Haynes. This dude is a tank. <laughs> Runs a marathon a day. If you want to feel bad about yourself but motivated at the same time, watch some Cameron Haynes. Crazy bow hunter. Does some awesome hunts. YouTube, Instagram. Good inspiration. Motivates you to get out there and train. What you need to do and practice a bunch. I don't know if I talked about that, but you need to practice a boatload before going out there and know your equipment. You know, because again, you have an ethical obligation to be a good killer. Um, <clears throat> Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan Experience. Love his podcast in general. Not always hunting podcast, but a great dude who has become a great hunter and kind of taken it up. He's been on Steve Ranella's show a lot. Um, they do a lot of great podcasts. He has, I think, almost all these people on his podcast. I don't know if uh, Garcia has been on or Kenya, but... You know, listen to his podcast. It's cool. He's a stoner. He's a nice guy, but he's a stoner. Um, <laughs> so a lot of pot talk, which I don't mind, but I think it's funny and cool, but I don't smoke. Um, he's a big bow hunter, too, now. But he kind of, if you go far back far enough, which is really far back because he's been podcasting for so long, um, you can kind of see his journey. And I've been listening to it for a long time and how he's grown as a hunter and almost been an anti-hunter to now full-fledged hunter. It's it's really, really good dude to listen to and a really great podcast. Highly recommend. Um, and this podcast, Lesson of the Wild. Um, you know, I think I'm, so far, of the two episodes I've done, I think they're pretty solid. <sighs> Only one worth of information. I apologize. I'm going to get more stuff out there. Uh, I really just, like I talked about in the first one, I just want to be a resource for you guys, something you can trust. And I help the hunting community. I want you guys to get out there and enjoy the outdoors as much as I do. And try to save some money doing it. And try to, you know, make this learning curve of hunting a little less miserable to experience. Because it's miserable at times. So, if you have any questions at all, please message me on Instagram. Lessons of the Wild. Um, or send me an email, lessonsofthewild at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in. Thanks for putting up with me. Really appreciate y'all. Have a good rest of your day. Always thinking about hunting. What have you done for hunting today? That's my new slogan. So have a good one.